0: Let's take our Bibles this evening and let's go to the New Testament and we'll go to 2 Corinthians, all right? 2 Corinthians chapter 12 this evening is where we'll be. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and uh, it's been it's been a little while, a few weeks since we've uh, been in this Bible study together in this series of study rather together. Uh, a few a few well, maybe it was a couple months ago now we've started looking into this title or this series of study of things that just do not make sense. And uh, we've been looking at some of these things. Now, we know in the world in which we live, there are definitely some things that do not make sense. For instance, one as as recent as this one, time change. For me, I'm telling you what, it doesn't make a lot of sense. All right? Uh, is anybody out there with me? Uh, you under, yeah, okay, good. That's scary that you guys think like your pastor. That's kind of that's scary. But anyway... There are some things that just do not make sense, and as I was thinking on time change, I had to. This is how my brain works. i got to find out how that started, or at least how it was initiated. And it goes all the way back to even our forefathers in America, at least, with Benjamin Franklin. Did you know that Benjamin Franklin suggested that waking up earlier in the summer would economize the candle usage and calculate considerable savings, thus daylight Savings. Maybe they should have called it candle savings. We know exactly where it came from, you know. But uh, we are um, beyond that era and we don't use candles much anymore, at least for lighting the house. And so daylight savings times does not make sense to me anymore. But uh, there's some things that just well, just don't make a ton of sense. Having pet snakes doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Uh, politics, that is upon us. Some of these things just do not make sense to me, some of the calls that we saw in the football games yesterday on Saturday didn't make a lot of sense, and uh, some people said amen, some people said oh me on that one, but uh, there's definitely some things that just do not make sense. But as we come to our Bibles, we read some verses, some phrases, even see principles that we look at, maybe a little sideways, scratch our head and say, you know, that just don't make a lot of sense to me. And at the very beginning, we find these phrases and we think that just doesn't make, make sense. And some of those phrases and principles and verses that come to mind when I think of this are verses such as these, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now, I don't know about you, but when you first read this verse and uh, you think of this verse, to pray for those that hate you, that just doesn't make a lot of sense. Loving the enemies in our natural mind does not make a lot of sense, yet we know it makes perfect sense, especially as you consider the heart of Jesus. But at the very beginning, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Or this verse in Romans 12, verse 21, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Now again, our natural mind, this does not make a ton of sense because in our natural mind, we want to fight fire with fire. We want to get even. We want to fight evil with evil. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. You make me suffer, I want to want you to suffer. You cause me pain. I want you to endure the same kind of pain. But really, as I thought on that today... When you think of that, if we're honest with ourselves, when it comes to that mindset of giving, getting even with someone, we actually don't want to get even, rather, we really want that other individual to suffer more than how we suffered. And when you start thinking about it, it's actually quite sadistic. It's kind of, it's true. That's our depraved heart, okay? That's our fallen flesh. That's what it wants. But some of these things our natural mind just don't, do, not make, do not make a lot of sense, And there's another one I'd like to consider this evening as we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And it's found in verses 1 through 10, especially in verses 7 through 10. But it's this phrase we'll find uh, recorded for us. It's this phrase, when we are weak, then we are strong. Now when you first think of that phrase, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But as you consider the context in which Paul is saying this, it makes perfect sense. So let's look at it this evening, all right? Before we do, let's pray again together. Our Father, as we come to the word of God this evening, I pray that you would help us to understand it. To open our understanding to the word of God, as the psalmist said, open thou my understanding, open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and look at verse number one, all right? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number one says, In... It is not expedient for me, doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of a Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, but God knoweth. Paul here is talking about experience he had when he was... um, We would believe there's been a time at Lystra where he died and and went to the third heaven, went to heaven, all right, and saw things they cannot even utter, Begin to write. Verse number four, "'How that he was called up into paradise, heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities.'" For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, and it might, that it might depart from me. He said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, reproaches, and necessities, and persecutions, and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. The first thing I'd like for us to consider about this passage and really this passage, this, um, uh, this phrase of when I'm weak, I'm strong. The first thing I let us to consider is this. Number one, take note of Paul's weakness. All right. Paul's weakness. Again, verse number seven, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Paul's weakness. Now, When we think of Paul, many times, at least for me, when we think of Paul, we don't normally think of him being a weak man. Not normally. Rather, when I think of Paul, I have the tendency to think of Paul as a very strong, adventurous, bold type of guy. A man who is courageous. This is a man's man. Fearless. A giant in The faith, when I think of Paul, that's what comes to mind. Anybody else like that with me this evening? Anybody think of that about Paul? That's what comes to my mind. Because after all, it was Paul, this man who took three missionary journeys to the pagan Gentile parts of the world, at least least the three we know of, and which he would carry the gospel boldly to two continents, several countries, nearly 60 cities, all of which would span over 10,000 miles, maybe even up to 15,000 miles. Here it is, most of it on foot. Now to put that into perspective, that'd be like, um, that'd be like going from New York to LA and back again on foot, all right? And so that takes a lot of um, courage it takes a lot of gumption to do something like that, a lot of guts to do that. And also we know of Paul that he went on as he went on his missionary efforts that he suffered much for the gospel's sake. Uh, we, we, we would believe that he was stoned and left for dead at Lystra. He was beaten with rods and whips. He was imprisoned just about every time he came to a city. Uh, it is said that old timer said whenever time Paul came to a new city, he always went to the jail to see where he's going to be sleeping, you know. Because that was going to be his pattern. He was going to be arrested and thrown in jail. And then you can kind of see where he boils all his suffering down in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, just a chapter back from our portion of Scripture, in verse 23 through 28 when he talks about a stint struggle and problem for Paul. It was such a problem for Paul that the Bible says that Paul besought the Lord. That, he, that means he begged God to take it away. But he didn't beg God once or twice, but he begged God three times to take this thorn away away and we know we know that the mighty apostle paul had no problem getting his prayers answered right we know that this happens to be the answer at this time for paul was this answer no sometimes no is still an answer from god you know that right i hope you do god always answers sometimes it's yes thank god sometimes it's no thank god and sometimes it's just wait a while but he always answers but some folks, when they think of the, of the thorn here, many try to give it a guess what it is. Uh, some suggest this thorn, this weakness he was was having was something to do with his eyes. Now, they, they think this way as they compare Scripture with Scripture, especially as you think back to the conversion of, of Paul. If you remember, on the road to Damascus, he had an encounter with the Lord and was born again. But while waiting in Damascus... For further instruction, God told Ananias to go and be with Paul, to go and touch Paul, to go and speak to Paul. And as the Lord sent Ananias to come and pray over him, the Bible says this in Acts 9 verse 18, And immediately there fell from his eyes, that's Paul's eyes, fell from his eyes that had been scales, And he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. Scales here meaning a flake or some kind of scab, all right? And all God's people said gross, all right? But anyway, that's what was going on. That's what happened with Paul. He had some kind of scale, some kind of flake or scab over his eyes. So it could have been something to do with this storm, could have been something to do with his his eyes. And still others suggest that it could have been a migraine, headaches, and maybe dealing with all the spiritual battles that he was going through, dealing with the care of all the churches, dealing with, Carnal, grumbling believers, listen, that'll give you a migraine. Uh, but dealing with these things, maybe it could have been migraines. We don't know. Others suggest it could have been a, 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 some kind of um, epilepsy or some kind of malaria. We don't know, okay? Just take a guess, if you will, but we don't know. One thing we do know about it is this. It was sent by Satan. Look at verse 7. Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me. Now, understand, not every weakness we face in life is from the devil, but we do know that Paul's weakness was. Now, the word messenger here refers to a fallen angel, it refers to a devil or a demon. And this satanic messenger would do this it would come to Paul and buffet him or strike with the fist. That's what it means. To buffet him. So this messenger of Satan would agitate Paul, would inflict pain upon Paul, and his pain would seem to be a physical manner because the Bible says his thorn in the flesh, all right? But no doubt this devil, this messenger of Satan, would take great delight in causing Paul harm and pain as a thorn would. Listen, I don't know the ins and outs of all of Paul's thorn or even of this messenger of Satan. I don't know all the ins and outs of it, okay? But I do know this, even with this thorn in the flesh, even with this messenger of Satan, know this and write it down and get it settled in your hearts and minds. God is always in control. It don't matter if the circumstances that surround your pain or circumstances surround your life are out of your control, they are never out of God's. Please, settle that truth in your heart. God is always in control. He rules and overrules. He is the Almighty. He rules. Because listen, it's God who sets the parameters in which the devil is allowed to work. God sets the fence line, if you will, in which Satan can operate. And the devil cannot go outside of those fence, fence lines or, or around those parameters at all. He can't operate outside of them. He still has to obey God. You know that? I hope you do. Let me, let me try to uh, uh, prove this point and get a glimpse of this point. As you consider Job, okay? The Bible says this in Job chapter 1. Verse 6 through 12. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth, a perfect, upright man, one that feareth God skeweth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Thou hast not made a hedge about him and about his house, but all he hath on every side. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all he hath. He will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. Listen, God set a parameter around Job, at least in his physical matter, in the very beginning, that Satan could not cross. Why? Because God is in control. And we know the tragedy that would ensue after this uh, conversation with Satan and God. We know how Job would lose his family, lose his flock, lose his farm. He would lose a lot. But he still retained his integrity. And then again, Satan came back to God and said this in Job chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. Again, there's a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, perfect, upright man, one that feareth God, skeweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath, Will he give for his life? But put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone, his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. Again, again, God set a a fence line, a parameter in which Satan can only go so far. Why? Because he still had to answer to God. And we know what would happen as Satan went and struck Job with boils from the top of his head down to the bottom of his feet. It's like zits on steroids, all right. Uh, that's what's going on, but couldn't take his life, though he wanted to because he's the destroyer, but he couldn't. Why? God's in control. Please know this. Though the devil had power to afflict Job, he had to abide by the parameters the Lord had set up. He could not go any further than what the Lord Allowed. Why? The devil still has to answer to God. So this messenger that came from Satan to afflict Paul could only go so far with that affliction because this messenger of Satan still himself would have to answer to God because God is in control. Never, please, never forget that. Because in the moments of our affliction, in the moments of our troubles and trials, we have that temptation to forget that God is still in control. But please don't forget it. Please don't forget it. He's still in control. All right. So this weakness was was, uh, uh, sent by Satan, but also was this. This weakness was for Paul's success. It was for Paul's success. Look at verse verse number seven again, all right? Verse number seven, and here it is, and lest I should be exalted above measure. God allowed this weakness to happen in Paul's life. He allowed this messenger of Satan to buffet him, to mistreat him, to inflict pain upon, to strike with the fist. God allowed that for a greater purpose. Now, this would go against the the, the false preaching of these prosperity preachers of our day (laughs) i don't know what they do with this passage of scripture honestly i don't i don't really care to know i don't i don't read their their commentaries i don't care all right but i don't know what they do with this passage of scripture because prosperity preachers today if they they would say this if you're struggling if you're poor if you're under attack of god or uh sorry under attack of satan (laughs) If you're being afflicted by a messenger of Satan, then listen, you must not be right with the Lord. You must be living outside of the blessing of God. And if you're living that way, living in poverty, living under oppression, then here's what you need. You need to be delivered. You need to be delivered from oppressive spirit. Delivered from the spirit of poverty. Delivered from the spirit of depression. Delivered from the spirit of... And you just fill in the blank, all right? That's what they would say today. And it seems like that crowd makes everything that someone struggles with a spirit. And when someone makes a difficulty and struggle that they face a spirit, then this is what they do. They take away the personal responsibility that that individual, as an individual, has to God. They take away that personal responsibility away from that person. Uh, Meaning this, if everything was a spirit, then someone could excuse their sin away and say, I don't have a drinking problem. I am just struggling with the spirit of drunkenness and need deliverance from that spirit, meaning it's not my fault that I drink and get drunk. It's the spirit's fault. The devil made me do it. That's what they're saying. Honestly, it's 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 crazy. But that's what they're doing. They would say, I don't have an adultery problem. I just have a spirit of lust and need deliverance from that spirit of lust. Meaning, it's not my fault, really, that I've cheated on my spouse. It's the Spirit's fault. The devil made me do it. That's the mindset behind it. But what needs to happen is the individual needs to see their personal responsibility to God, repent, and get right with God. That's what they need to do. Not blame it all on a spirit or a devil. But the individuals would say those things, that prosperity type preaching, those individuals of that crowd would be saying, be saying that. But you know what I'd like to see from these prosperity preachers? I'd like to see a couple of things. Number one, I'd like for them like to actually read their Bible and rightly divide the word of God. That'd be great, you know. But I'd like to see them do that. But number two, what I'd like to see them do is this. Tell Paul in this moment, in this text, and in this, in this chapter of scripture, tell Paul, hey, Paul, you're wrong. I'd like for them to tell Paul that. Tell Paul, tell him, hey, Paul, you're wrong. Paul, you're not. You can't be right with God for allowing this spirit of oppression to buffet you, for allowing the messenger of Satan to strike you like this. Paul, there's no way you're right with God. Paul, you're wrong. I love to see these guys tell Paul, Paul, you're wrong for letting this continue on in your life. God did not mean for you to, this to happen to you. God does not mean for you to live this way. Tell Paul that and tell God that. I would like for these guys to do that. Like I said, I don't know what they do with this portion of Scripture. But understand with this thorn of Paul that he had here, understand God was allowing it to happen in Paul's life. But why? I believe it was for a greater purpose. There's a greater purpose. And here's that purpose. It was to keep Paul humble. To keep Paul humble. Look at it again. Verse number 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me lest I should be exalted above measure. Said it twice. That was his purpose, to keep him humble. Now, how many of you would agree with me this evening that humility is a good thing? Anybody? One, two, three, five, seven. All right, cool. About nine of us. That's good, all right? Humility is a good thing. True humility, not something that's conjured up to others to see, but true humility is a good thing, because God believes it's a good thing as well. The Bible says in James chapter four, verse six, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James four ten. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Again, Peter would kind of echo the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves to the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility for God. Resist the proud and gives grace to the humble. Now, understand God wants us to be humble and God blesses humility. He will not bless and use our stinking pride. He won't. But he does use and bless humility humility. And listen, God wanted Paul to continue to be that humble messenger of God that he called him to be. He wanted him to be humble because God had so much more for Paul to do. He had more mission mission trips for Paul to go on. He had more people for Paul to reach. He had more Bible for Paul to write. Because understand, at this moment in history, Paul had not written yet. He had not written the book of Romans yet. Anybody ever get a blessing out of Romans? Amen. I have. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. All right. Whosoever shall call upon him, the Lord, shall be saved. Amen. But hadn't written that yet. He hadn't written Philippians yet. He hadn't written written Ephesians yet. Or Colossians, or Philemon, or 1 and 2 Timothy, or Titus, yet. He's had much to write. And God was still going to use him. The Lord had much for him to do. So, with all the abundance of the revelations that God was had given to Paul and would soon give more to Paul, no doubt he could be tempted, could be tempted to be prideful. Pride is such a it's a killer. I'm telling you, it is a killer. It is pride that made the devil the devil. It was the devil that said, I will be like the Most High, right? Isaiah 14. Pride's a killer. So God wanted this great man to continue to be great and needed to continue to make him him humble. So God allowed this to happen. The Lord needed Paul to be humble and allowed this to happen. So as Paul put, uh, put this into perspective, no wonder Paul considered this messenger of Satan. I want to say something kind of radical, all right? It's not really radical at all. It's actually biblical. But uh, he considered this messenger of Satan, here it is, listen, a gift. It's crazy, ain't it? But he considered it a gift. Verse number 7, he said this, look at it with me. Unless I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelation, there was given. Given to me. He considered this a gift. A given here, meaning as if if it's someone bestowing a gift to you. That's what that word means, given. He considered it a gift. Paul didn't consider this weakness of his a disadvantage. He didn't consider it a handicap. He considered it rather a helpline and considered it a gift from God, really. He considered it a gift. So no, this buffing no doubt didn't feel good, but it was for his good. It was for his success in Romans 8, 28, still in the Bible. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And sometimes, sometimes the things that happen in our life, those unwanted times, difficult times, those messengers of Satan, if I can say it that way, they're given for our good. They don't feel good, but they're for our good. And that weakness, listen, that weakness that we see in those moments of affliction and those Moments of trial, those weaknesses we see in ourselves, those weaknesses should cause us to do this, all right? Number number one, see Paul's weakness. Number two, it should cause us to do this, see God's strength. It should cause us to rely upon God's strength. Look at verse number nine. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient. God speaking here, Jesus speaking here. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now listen, God allows us to experience weaknesses so that in the midst of those weaknesses, we will see and seek his strength. That's why they happen. So we will see and seek God's strength in the midst of weakness. Understand something. God never intended for you and for me as born-again believers to live outside of him. Outside of his strength. Outside of his power. God always intended us to live depending upon his power. Even the Christian life. Completely the Christian life. Depending upon God and depending upon his power. Not just for salvation, but in everything in life. Again, John 15... Verse four through five, abide in me, Jesus speaking. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except you abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him. The same bringeth forth much fruit for without me, here it is, without me ye can do nothing. I am constantly reminded of this very fact. Every day, every Sunday, Remind I can't do anything without the Lord. Every day, we need him. We need him. And when we seek the strength, especially in the midst of our weakness, we will find that his strength is this. Number one, it's plentiful. Uh, Notice again the word in verse number nine. Look at it with me. Jesus speaking, my grace is, what's the next word? My grace is sufficient. Now this word means enough or satisfied. Listen, because the grace of God is plentiful, because his strength is plentiful, understand this wonderful truth and fact and mark it down somewhere. You will never find yourself in a situation or a weakness that exceeds the amount of grace or strength you need to endure that weakness. Amen. (laughs) Never. God's grace is always sufficient. His strength is always more than enough. His grace will never run out, ever. He will never lose strength, ever. And you can trust Him. His strength is plentiful. Not only is it plentiful, number two it's this, it's personal. God's grace to you and to me is a personal strength, meaning this, it's customized to meet each unique need and situation for that moment. Look, this thorn that Paul had, his thorn he was enduring, it was customized to show his weakness. It was a thorn that only he suffered. And what Job went through, as we looked at him a moment ago, what he endured, what he went through. Look, I cannot confidently say that you or I could endure what Paul and Job went through. I don't know if we could. But God did know these men could endure those things. God did know he could trust these men with those trials and with those weaknesses. Why? Because those men in that moment, they wouldn't wouldn't forsake God. Rather, they would seek God and find his strength is sufficient. And find his grace is sufficient. So though we all have different weaknesses, we all, listen, this is wonderful too, we all have the same God who has the same strength and the same grace. He will give us the right amount that we need each and every time we face our weaknesses and our temptations. He will give us the exact amount of grace and exact amount of strength we need to face those times. So number two, see God's strength. But lastly, I want you to see this. I want you to take notice of our perspective on the matter. And especially Paul's perspective, all right? All right understand the difference between the believer who quits when facing times of weakness versus the believer who keeps going is this word. Here's the difference maker. It's perspective. Perspective. You see, the quitter, he stops with, I can't. But the one who doesn't quit, he moves from, you know, I can't, but God can. It's perspective. If God has gotten you to a place of weakness, if you've gotten you to a place of weakness, if you found yourself at the bottom, you found yourself in a hopeless situation or in a very difficult day. If you found yourself weak, then then uh, let me say something with humility and grace. OK, I, I don't want, I don't want to sound mean. I'm not. I promise. But let me say something with humility and grace. You found yourself in a place of weakness and difficult time. You ready? Good. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I want you to rejoice sounds crazy don't it? again we're looking at things that don't make sense sounds crazy because it's in those moments of weakness and difficulty in this horrendous times that the Lord can do something strong mighty in and through your life you know why because in those weak moments you're not looking to yourself anymore you've already tried that but now you're looking to God you're not trying to find strength in your own wisdom and your own ability. No, you're, you're, you're seeking God's strength and His wisdom and His ability and His power. And when you seek God for strength, you'll find it. And you'll find it's more than sufficient. So that's a pers- perspective on the matter. Here's what uh, Paul said about it as he's facing this. Look at verse number 9. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And look, look at this. Look, look at what Paul said. I think Paul, I mean, if you're going to be in a ministry, you've got to be a little crazy. You just got to. You know, it's just part of it. But I think Paul had a little bit more crazy than most. But look what he said. Look at verse number 9. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. What? are you talking about, Paul? You're suffering this weakness, this messenger of Satan to buffet you. And you're saying, praise God. (laughs) You're saying, good? What kind of perspective, man, are you on? This is craziness. But here's what he said. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then am I strong. He was saying, most gladly, therefore. I will most gladly, therefore, take this weakness and infirmities. Why? Why, Paul? Because when I'm weak, it's then I'm strong. But it's not Paul's strength. But rather it's God's strength and God's power upon a very weak man who's resting in God. So again, when you find yourself in a weak spot, good. I don't like them either. But it's in those moments we can see God do something absolutely amazing and powerful and gracious. Because we're not leaning on ourselves, but leaning on our almighty God that we know and serve. His power. So Paul's perspective on the matter of his weakness and his infirmities, on his sicknesses, diseases, feebleness, whatever it may be, any physical ailments he was facing, even the buffeting from this messenger of Satan, the spiritual attack he was enduring, the perspective on it all was this. Praise God. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. He was saying, I'll take any of those physical weaknesses because that means the power of Christ will rest upon me. You know, I doubt that We ever get up in the mornings and pray for weakness. Anybody ever pray for weakness? I've never have. Often, many times, you know, I pray for, I pray for strength. Anybody else like that? Often. But in this moment, this perspective, Paul was most gladly, therefore, in his weakness. Because he knew there was a greater power that was going to work in him and through him and for, for him. He wanted the power of Christ to rest upon him. Rest upon him meaning take habitation or possession over him. Paul wanted the power of Christ upon him and working in him and through him more than just about anything else in his life. And so it's no wonder he did so much for Jesus. <laughs> because it wasn't resting in his strength but rather God's strength especially in his weak moments of life. He had God's power in such a way. Uh, Look at 1 Corinthians... I'm sorry, let me just read it to you. You don't have to turn there. If you want to, that's fine. 1 Corinthians 2. Let me read this to you, all right? 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1 through 5. Let me read it. And I, brethren, when I came to you... He's talking to the Corinthian believers when he first came to them to the city and preached the gospel to them. He says, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see, even when he came to to Corinth to preach to them, he came in weakness, he came in in fear, he came with much trembling. No doubt, when he stood up to preach the gospel, his heart was about to beat out of his chest. You know, I think it would be good. Honestly, I think it'll be good for for every believer to have have to prepare a gospel message and preach it. I think it's a great exercise. I think we should start next Sunday. Anybody with me on that one? Okay, I got one hand. Okay, great. No. But I think everybody should. Because you'll do so with fear and trembling. But you won't be resting on yourself and your power and your wisdom to do it. You're resting in the power of Christ And when you do that, God does a great work. That's what Paul was getting at when he was saying this verse in in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. You see, he became these people in weakness and fear and trembling, but God did a great work in him and through him, for him, and even for the people of Corinth. God did something amazing. So again, here's the perspective. You find yourself in a moment of weakness, something that's out of your control, don't know what to do. I say this with fear and trembling. I do, honestly, I do. Good. God's going to do something powerful and wonderful, mighty and strong, because you should be at least relying upon his strength and his grace, and you'll find it sufficient. So at the very beginning, it sounds crazy. When Paul says in verse number 10, for when I am weak, then I am strong. But when you take a good look at it again, it makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. Because in those weak moments you rest upon a strong and great God. And our natural first response of any weakness is this. We ask God to remove it. We do. And now while the Lord can easily remove any weakness or any thorn in the flesh. It could be that God has a greater work through those. Has a greater desire through those and to help us. And to accomplish this work and that desire it could be. It allows us to happen to find ourselves weak. And I'm reminded even as I read the life of Paul, God is not looking for strong Christians who don't need to rely on God's strength. Rather, he is looking for weak Christians who rely upon the strength of God so God can do a wonderful, powerful work through that weak Christian. Therefore, Let God have his perfect work in your life and watch him do something powerful that only he can do. Because listen, when only he does it, he's the one who gets all the glory and not you or me. He will use you. You found yourself in a weak place of life? It's okay. Rather, it's, it's good. Let God use it.